Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the first epistle of the Apostle Peter, chapter 2, verses 19 through 25. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. God, I thank you that you are our good shepherd and our healer. And we just ask that you would meet us through your Holy Spirit this morning and help us to receive your truth and your love and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19. For it is a credit to you if, being aware of God, you endure pain while suffering unjustly. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we come to the communion table, I want to take a few minutes with you and talk with you about Peter's portrayal of Jesus as the example for how we should live. It was the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright who once said that the New Testament must be read so as to be understood. It isn't the kind of magic book that simply bypasses the mind. Now, as a pastor, you know I'm all over that statement. That's why I've been encouraging all of us to join me in reading those five chapters of first peter and i'm grateful to god that so many of you during this season are spending time reading the scriptures because if you're going to understand them they must be read they simply will not by some kind of osmosis simply uh, bypass the mind and influence our lives we must read them we must read them so i encourage you to keep doing that And as you read and ponder this particular letter, I want you to remember that Peter's words were being heard by exiled, scattered Christians, not people living by a a lakeside villa, not people uh, lounging on the beach. These letters were being read by people who were under great duress, living in modern-day Turkey, northern and central Turkey. And Peter has a mission. He writes to encourage these believers, these scattered believers, to remain steadfast in their faith, their faith, despite the fact that they are, they are experiencing social scorn, shaming, rejection, bullying, slander, and stigma. 
And it's important to know that at this stage, the persecution against the church in the Roman Empire isn't at a global stage. It is happening mostly in communities from different groups who regard Christians as social deviants. They're being pressured verbally and physically to conform to what that particular society considered normal, normal practices socially, culturally, religiously, the kind of practices that they dubbed as the way to live. So for example, these folks would come to these Christians and say, you need to join us and worship the local gods just like everyone else. Well, why? Because they say that's how people should worship. Or they may come to the Christians and say, you need to knock off this ridiculous claim that Jesus of Nazareth was raised from the dead and that he's Lord and King. Why? Because the culture says that's abnormal to think that way. They need to join and worship Caesar as Lord. Peter instead encourages the church to hold fast. Don't bend. Don't give in. Stay true to your Lord. Remember your new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Remember, as we said last week, you're resident aliens. You are the people of God's kingdom. You've, you've been called to live in reverent fear before God. And then today, I hear Peter saying to them, remember, as people push you around, as they try to provoke you, as they insult you, as they bully you, as they try to pressure you, remember the example of Jesus. Remember how important it is to live the way Jesus lived. Now, what does that look like? How does one follow the practices of Jesus? Now, before answering that question, I think Peter identifies in verses 19 and 20 two sources of suffering. One, he says, you can be minding your own business. You're going around doing good and you are suffering unjustly. And that's what he says in verse 19. You can actually be doing the right thing and you are still experiencing rejection and scorn. But he also says another source of suffering comes from the consequences of one's actions. Notice what he says in verse 20. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? In other words, don't be surprised if you face consequences for doing something wrong. So if I walk into the store at Walmart and I decide to steal a pack of chewing gum and walk out without paying for it and I'm caught, Peter would say, well, Pastor Ray, you are suffering because of your actions and that kind of suffering is justified. And I think most people get that. But the thing to remember though is that these followers of Jesus were not suffering for the latter reason. They were not breaking the law. They were not stealing. They were not shoplifting. And yet they were still suffering. And so the question is still on the table, what should they do in response? And in our world, there are two main responses when you are under attack. You're being aggressively treated, you're being treated aggressively by, by someone. It's either fight or flight. Someone strikes you, so you fight back. Someone says the wrong thing to you, so you insult them in return. It's called fighting fire with fire. You remember what, Mark, what Mahatma Gandhi said, an eye for an eye, and that will make the world go blind. Live by the law of retaliation, eye for an eye, and the whole world will go blind. 
answering violence with violence, blow with blow, insult with insults, makes things worse. Wouldn't you agree? The other response is flight. So we can fight or there's flight. So someone is rude, they're harsh, they're mean, they're bullying. And what do you do? You lay down like a wet noodle, like a fearful puppy. You give in to your adversary. And Peter would say, well, that doesn't solve the problem either. Because what we're doing by taking such a passive, unresponsive approach is that we are emboldening this person to continue being a bully. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. The story is told of Bishop Desmond Tutu. Before he was a bishop, he was just a regular priest living in South Africa. And one day he was walking along a raised wooden platform over a, a muddy sidewalk. And he came face to face with this white man, this uh, Africana who was uh, a racist. And the man said to him, get off the sidewalk. I don't make, I don't make way for gorillas. And so Desmond Tutu got off the sidewalk. He stepped into the mud. He gestured broadly and he said, well, I do. Think about it. He wasn't fighting back and he wasn't running from the man. What Reverend Tutu mirrored back to the man was the hate, the hate that the man was spewing to him. He mirrored it back to him without returning an eye for an eye. A similar story is told of Mother Teresa, who one day picked up a, a child, a very sick child from the streets of Calcutta. And she walked into a bakery and asked for bread for the child. And surprisingly, the baker spat in Mother Teresa's face. Her response, she said, thank you for that gift for me. Now perhaps something for the child? What did she do? Did she return spittle for spittle? No. Did she run away? No. She confronted the baker with the love of God. And of course, the person who most exhibited this confrontation of evil with love was, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that he was an innocent man in whom there was no guile. He sought only to do good, to heal the sick, to feed the hungry, to lead people into the kingdom of God. And yet here he is nailed to the cross. And do you remember the first words out of his, out of his mouth? Luke 23 and verse 34. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now, please hear me, brothers and sisters. I'm not suggesting that this is easy. I remember when I was in college, I remember taking a long walk with one of my friends through a nearby park, and this brother was hurting. He was black. His roommate was white. They weren't getting along. He was so angry because of the way he was being treated by his roommate and other people in the school. And as he was pouring out his his heart to me. He asked me, he said, so, so what do you think I should do? And I asked him, this is what I said, being super spiritual Ray, I asked him to remember what Jesus said about how to treat our enemies. And I also reminded him to pray the prayer of forgiveness for our enemies. And I'll never forget what my dear friend said to me. He looked at me and he said, I am not Jesus and I can't and I will not do that. And looking back now, I can understand why his response was was so radical because when you're hurting when people are hurting you and you feel angry it is very difficult to put on the mind of Christ it is very difficult to know how to respond and so what is Peter's advice to all of this first of all in verse 19 he says that we need to be aware 
or we need to be conscious of God when we're suffering unjustly. The second thing he says is in verse 21. Remember that as followers of Jesus, we are called then to imitate Christ. And I think verses 19 and verse 21 go together. Because the more aware of God we are in the difficult situations, the greater the possibility that we will be able to imitate Christ. And look at what verse 21 says. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you should follow in his steps. So the idea of following in his steps, walking where Jesus walked, through his life on earth, Jesus shows us the way. Again, I'm going to bend over backwards on this. This is not stoic, passive resignation. Rather, on closer examination, Jesus is actually calling us to active resistance, forged though in love. And you say, okay, pastor, what's the basis for this? Well, the basis for this is what I found in verse 22. The basis for this is actually Jesus. When he was in great difficulty, what did he do? Look at verse 22. He committed no sin and no deceit was in his mouth. And I don't want you to miss this. Jesus was doing good. And people say, how can a good, God-fearing, people-loving person suffer? Why would God allow his children to suffer? Well, Jesus, who is the essence of perfection and goodness, he suffered at the hands of sinful men. And notice what he did. He was not a stoic. He was not passive. He did not fight. Instead, it says in verse 23, when he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. How did Jesus entrust himself to God? And I think the way he did that is seen in the Garden of Gethsemane because in the Garden of Gethsemane he had a momentous decision to make. He could have called 12 legions of angels to come and destroy the world and forego the death on the cross but instead he prayed what many call, call a prayer of relinquishment. He said, not my will but your will be done. And then when Jesus was on the cross he forgave those who hated him and then he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He entrusted himself to God. And I think this is what Peter is referring to in these closing verses. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sins we might live for righteousness. And I love that, my brothers and sisters. Jesus took our place on the cross. That's what we call substitutionary atonement. That where we should have died for our sins, where we, we the guilty ones, should have paid the penalty for the wrongs that we have done, the sins that we've committed against a, a holy God. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross so that, free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. And friends, for the longest while, I have said that the hardest place to live the Christian life is in the home. It's the hardest place to live the Christian life. It's in the home. And guess where we all are now? Of course, we're in the home. And the question is, how is it going? How is it going? In the home. I think about the pain that married couples bring upon each other. The words that husbands say to their wives, sometimes the physical things that husbands do to wives or wives to husbands. In the home. 
I think about the pain that siblings bring upon each other, where brothers fight and sisters fight, and the pain that children inflict on their parents or parents inflict on their children. In the home, I think about the pain that is being experienced right now because of this command and this guidance to stay at home and to shelter at home. It's not easy to be a Christian at home. But I also think about the pain that we bring upon each other at work, the things we do to each other at work. I think about the things we do to each other in the church, the horrible gossip that we inflict on each other. And you know, gossip is really one of the most cowardly things one could ever do because instead of saying what we need to say to that person, we get together in little groups and we say horrible things about each other. I think about the pain that's inflicted on people who happen to support a different political party or will vote for somebody of their choosing. And we cut these people off as if they have the plague or the pain that we inflict on each other because we have different skin color or we have a different nationality. Friends, Peter would say to us, as people in the body of Christ, this is not the example of Jesus. In fact, that is the example of the world. And often when the Bible speaks about the world, it, it speaks about the realm of darkness. We're called to follow the example of Jesus. We're called to be Jesus to each other. And how do we do that? If you remember what I said last week, that so much of what Peter calls us to do, it's based on ethics. And this is not a call for the Superman and the Wonder Woman to flex their muscle and say, okay, I think I can do that. No. This is about blessed are the meek. This is about people who exhibit the power, the supernatural power of Jesus Christ. And so you go all the way back to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, where Peter says, according to God's great mercy, God has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And it is only through the new life that is in Jesus Christ that we can follow his example. You must be born again. We need power from on high. We need supernatural power through the Holy Spirit to turn the other cheek, to give a soft answer to a harsh word, and to be the example of Jesus. You must be born again. And if you've never received new birth in Christ, I, I, I implore you today to ask the Lord to forgive you of your sin. Ask the Lord to be the Lord and the boss of your life, and he will begin, when you do that, he will begin to love through you, and he'll begin to speak through you, and he'll begin to show patience through you, and he will begin to help you be a better listener. You'll, you'll actually listen more than you will speak, and he will live through you. So this is not about will and power. This is about supernatural power. Wouldn't you like to switch allegiance from the darkness of this world to the light of the kingdom of God? Wouldn't you like to entrust your life to Jesus today? And I want to help you do that today. And I'll talk to you about that as we come to the close of the service. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people say, Amen.